evening and welcome to Journey Church. It's my pleasure to be with you tonight. If you have your copy of God's Word, turn to Galatians chapter 5, the fifth chapter of Galatians, verses 16 through 26, and we're talking about the subject of the flesh and the spirit overcoming the conflict, overcoming the conflict between the flesh and the spirit. And the text tells us, beginning in verse 16, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, and heresies. Envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against, against these things. There is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So we saw in the previous lesson uh, before this one that uh, we are to prevent turning our freedom in Christ into opportunities for the lust of the flesh. And to do that, we need to walk in the Spirit. And we talked about that. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? And we considered five reasons Paul gave to walk in the Spirit instead of engaging in the works of the flesh. For example, we learned in verse 17 here in Galatians 5 that the Spirit and the flesh are contrary to one another. Second of all, if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. We saw that in Galatians 5.18. And then in verses 19 through 21, we learned that to fulfill the lust of the flesh, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's just a simple statement that, you know, if, if, if that's really the goal of your life is to fulfill the lust of the flesh, you, you're just not part of the kingdom. You, you just, uh, your, your reformation hasn't taken place yet. Your regeneration has not uh, happened at this point. Uh, those who are in Christ have crucified the flesh, he says in uh, Galatians chapter 25, verse 24. And then since we live in the Spirit, we should also walk in the Spirit, he says in verse 25. And the sixth reason is actually found over in chapter 6, verses 7 through 8, which we'll review another time. It says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he also will reap. For he who sows in the flesh will also reap corruption... And he who sows in the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And so it is one thing to know that we should walk in the Spirit. It's entirely something else to walk in the Spirit. And so I hope to illustrate how a Christian can be victorious in, uh, over this spiritual conflict between the Spirit and the flesh. And again, the basis of our study will be found right here in Galatians 5. Uh, 16 through 26. There's a lot to cover here, 
And from these verses, we can glean four points related to overcoming conflict. So overcoming this conflict. Um, so if you're writing it down, there's going to be four main points today. And uh, I hope that, you know, you will, uh, you'll listen along closely, but I'm going to save the most important point for the last. And so here's the first point. Point number one is victory comes through an awareness of the conflict. You, you must be aware of the conflict in order to be victorious over it. Look at verse 17. It says, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Well, I've got a couple points under this. Number Letter A is that knowing the strength of the enemy is necessary to win any war. You need to know how strong your enemy is if you want to win the war over him. And so I want to just look quickly at the words of Jesus in the 14th chapter of Luke. In Luke chapter 14, verse 31, Christ says, Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. So it's literally... You know, if you want to have victory over your opponent, you need to know your opponent. You need to know that he, that what he has to bring against you. Paul wants us to be aware of the strength of the enemy. He says very clearly here, here that the spirit is this, this, the spirit is against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another. And it's so powerful that you don't do the things that you want to do. That's a that's a powerful enemy, and so the flesh is in opposition to the spirit. This is just, a, this is just a, a simple truth. It, when you hear people praying to overcome their flesh, uh, with, with overcome the illness or the difficulties that are associated with the flesh, um, those are very soulish prayers. Um, they are uh, prayers that, that are literally rooted in the flesh. Um, there was a man, he was a, a great preacher of the 20th century. His name was Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he was quoted famously on his deathbed. He said, please do not pray for my healing because you're only denying me my reward, my eternal reward. He wanted to see the Jesus he had preached about his whole life. And uh, I think there is great wisdom in that. Often our prayers are so soulish, they're so fleshly, and when God is doing a work, maybe He is pruning or He is, he is, he is bringing about a change in our life that couldn't come any other way than if He, if he uh, were to prune our fleshly desires. And we pray that He stops it when in fact we should be praying, not my will, but thy will be done. And so the flesh is in opposition to the Spirit, and neither side is content with some sort of truce. Your flesh is never going to be at truce with your spirit, and your spirit will never have a truce with your flesh. You need to give up any thought of that. There will not be a truce, and one or the other is going to be in control. And sadly, most people, whether they're Christian or not, their flesh is in control. And so we need to know the strength of the enemy, which is necessary to win the war, but we need to understand that the battle is always going to be ongoing. It's going to always be an ongoing battle. 
And the reason is, is because the flesh sets itself against the things of the Spirit. This is the natural order. And as long as we're in the flesh, there is going to be warfare. As long as you live on this side of heaven, there is going to be warfare. Your flesh is going to war against your spirit unless we totally surrender the flesh to the Lord. That's really the ultimate... Um, Victory in and of itself is that we completely surrender our flesh to the Lord. So with the awareness that the conflict exists, we're on the road to victory. So that's the first, that's the first signpost that you're on to victory is the, the awareness of this battle. Uh, but sadly, many people lose this battle because they assume that whatever the flesh wants, it must be right. And they'll say it like this. It seems innocuous, but it is. It says, well, my gut's telling me. Well, that's the flesh. Um, well, my mind is telling me that's that's the flesh. Well, my heart's telling me, you know, um, when you read what the Bible has to say about the heart, it's not very good. Um, all profanities, lies, cursings, uh, uh, evil words come from the heart, the Bible says. Uh, it says the heart is deceitfully wicked. No one knows how terrible it really is. Uh, the heart's made of stone. You know, that's it, to say, well... The Lord knows my heart. You, <laughs> I tell you the truth. I'm I'm glad the Lord knows my heart. I'm just glad He doesn't tell people what He knows, and uh, and so for those who desire to win, though it's helpful to know that number two, victory comes through the awareness of the enemy and the consequences of defeat. Comes from the awareness of the enemy and the consequences of defeat. Look at verses 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in the times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, two things here. The enemy is the works of the flesh. The enemy is the works of the flesh. Briefly defined, the works of the flesh include the sins of immorality, uh, the sins of idolatry, uh, infractions of the law of love, and the sins of intemperance, which is excessiveness. The sins of intemperance, which is excessiveness. People say, well, temperance movement is just about alcohol. Intemperance is any excess. You can do it from shopping to speeding to eating too much. Any excessiveness, in as far as is a biblical word, is called intemperance. Um, and each of these we are going to examine more closely in the future. Uh, the next message, in fact, that we deal with after this one is the sin of immorality. The second thing I'd have to say about this is that the consequences of defeat are grave. They're very, they're very grave. In fact, it says in our text we learn that they can, as one commentator would say, it would cause one to forfeit the kingdom of God. Now, as a person who believes that the Scripture teaches that Jesus Christ has not lost one of His, no, not one, He says, all that the Father gives me, I have not lost one, um, some would say that doing these things would cause one to lose their salvation. Others would say it would cause them to lose the kingdom of God. I would tell you 
that since Scripture interprets Scripture, that those who practice these things, which is what the Word is here, and those who practice, it says, they don't prove that they've lost the kingdom. They prove they've never become kingdom citizens. And so I, I want you to understand that. Um, the writer here in Galatians, Paul is writing them because they've been bewitched by another gospel, he says. Um, they're, they're looking at law-keeping and they're looking at, at legalistic ways of following the Lord that are not rooted in, in a heart of obedience, but in a heart of duty, uh, which is ultimately towards the flesh. And so the reality of it is here is if you do these things, it's not that you lost the kingdom, it's simply you're not part of the kingdom. But I might add that he uses the qualifier, practices these things. And so, you know, ultimately you need to look at these things and say, well, what business do I have doing any of it? And uh, ultimately, that's really the heart of the believer is to say, okay, how can I be obedient? Well, I cannot be obedient and practice the works of the flesh. Um, I cannot move to holiness. I cannot move to sanctification by purposely, high-handedly high practicing the works of the flesh. And he tells you what they are. Now, whether you agree with them or not is, is, does not matter. Um, it's what God has said, and, and if God says it, we all know, then that settles it. So he says that we learn that they produce corruption. So these works of the flesh, again, they're evident. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, uh, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, and drunkenness, revelries, and the like. He says over here that let him who, he says, do not be, be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, he is also going to reap. And he who sows in the flesh is going to reap corruption. And so it doesn't matter who you are, who you are, if you're going to do these things, you're going to reap what you sow. You're going to get from it corruption. And as believers, we have no business engaging in any of these things. So if any of these you're dealing with, I just got two simple words for you. They're not Yiddish. They're not hard to understand. You might could write them down, but it's, it's just two simple words. Stop it. Just stop it. That's the best thing you can do. That What has lightness to do with darkness? These things, the world may say they're okay. They're not okay according to the Scripture. They're not okay according to the Scripture. All right? And so there's the awareness of the enemy and the consequences of defeat. So the works of the flesh, we've learned what those are. We see right here these are enemies of the flesh, and we've seen that the consequences of this enemy is corruption, sowing corruption in our flesh. And uh, so this should, this should do something. This should not disappoint you that you can't play as hard as you used to or you can't have as much fun as you used to. This should give you a reason to say, now I need to attack this much more forcefully. Um, otherwise, uh, if I'm half-hearted at it, then I'm going to be aimless in it, and ultimately corruption is my destiny. So number three, victory comes through having the right attitude. Look at verses 24 and 25. He says right here, 
He says, And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live in the Spirit, we must also walk in the Spirit. So if you're going to live in the Spirit, you're going to walk in the Spirit. Well, how do you live in the Spirit? You crucify the passions of the flesh. Well, what are they? <laughs> they are evident. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, um, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. You know, I don't think there's any question that Paul means what he says and is saying what he means. These are realities, okay? And so here's a couple things under that. Under this, no victory is won with a defeatist attitude. Um, you know, you've met people that, that have that can-do spirit, that they have that can-do spirit. Um, this is somewhere where you need to cop an attitude. You need to say, I can do this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, there's a popular truth, and it's simply, I can do all things through a Bible verse that's quoted out of context. And normally, Philippians 4.13 is. Uh, you cannot do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You can do all things according to Christ's will that strengthens you. And uh, that is the context in which Philippians 4.13, well, I want you to know something. Christ can strengthen you to overcome adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, contentions, outbursts of wrath and heresies and revelry and drunkenness and all of those things. You can do it. You can do it. Because through Christ, you can do it. And so, um, but if you approach this conflict by saying there is no hope, I am too weak, I cannot win, well, the battle's over before it started. I mean, you might as well just hoist that white flag of surrender because you've already given up before you even tried. And the Christian can approach this conflict, however, with optimism. Let me give you some reasons to do that. We're going to look in Romans and Titus at this point. Um, First of all, the Bible tells us that we have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Look at verse 24. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. As we saw in the previous lesson, that occurred when we crucified Christ, when we were crucified with Christ through His baptism. And as the Scripture says in Romans 6, uh, 3 through 8, it teaches us that we're buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in the newness of life. And so therefore, we are not indebted to the flesh, as it says in Romans 8, 12. You're, you don't owe your flesh anything. Jesus Christ crucified your flesh on the cross. We've been learning that on Sunday mornings. In fact, I'll be teaching on Romans 8, 12 uh, uh, pretty much imminently here uh, soon. Check us out on online and you'll be able to see it. Uh, this is not to say that the conflict of the flesh is going to cease to exist, but that Christ, that in Christ the conflict can be overcome. It can be overcome. You're always going to battle your flesh in this world, but, but the battle should have great gains not great consequences. And because they live in the Spirit, as it says here, it says, if they live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Uh, the Spirit has given us a new life. So I want, I want to look at Titus. I've been uh, uh, debating uh, with myself. I, I want to preach the book of Titus. Um, Titus has a lot of wonderful uh, teaching. It's a pastoral epistle. Um, Titus chapter 3, uh, 5 through 6 says, 
not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of the regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Christ Jesus our Savior. And so the Spirit has given us new life in Christ, and we read this in Romans 8, verse 2 and verse 11. We have this new life in Christ and living in the Spirit. By living in the Spirit, then it becomes possible to walk in the Spirit. And so this leads us uh, perhaps to the most important point when it comes to overcoming the conflict between the flesh and the Spirit, which is number four, victory comes through walking in the Spirit. Look at verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So here's a, here's a few things. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? What does it really, really mean? Well, the term walk suggests that one's con- uh, re- suggests about one's conduct and manner of life. Um, the phrase in the Spirit or by the Spirit, as the American Standard Version says, suggests perhaps two possibilities. Uh, one, that one can, one's conduct be in accordance with the Spirit. If you look over here at Romans chapter 8, verse 1, uh, just preached a message on that not too long ago. Uh, it's called uh, Life in the Spirit. And it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. They walk according to the Spirit. So that one's conduct is according to the Spirit. Well, I want you to know something, that adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresy, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, those are not of the Spirit. They're just not of the Spirit. That is not the conduct of a person walking in the Spirit. Now, it's funny to me, it's actually not funny, it's very sad that people who claim to walk in the Spirit say they have liberty to do these things. That's contrary to the Scripture, so that makes it anti-biblical. It's contrary to the nature of God, which makes it antithetical. And uh, in case you need another word, it's just flat wrong. Um, There's a whole movement today to divorce the Old Testament from the New. There's a whole movement today to take out all the writings of the New Testament except for the writings of Jesus. There's a whole questioning of whether the Word of God really is the Word of God, and it's something that is as old as man himself, and people are falling for it left and right. And it's simply this statement, and it comes from the same place, and it's whispered by the same voice, Did God really say that? That's what He said to Eve in the garden. When God had told him, her, excuse me, not to eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge. And the devil said, did God really say that? And today people are trying to appease their flesh and believe that Christianity is all about happiness instead of holiness because God really didn't say these things. What did God say? God said that you are walking in the flesh if you are a person that is 
in adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, and revelries, and the like. So if the Bible says it, that must settle it. It means what it says, and it says what it means. And so is one it, that you know one's conduct is to be aided by the Spirit. Back over here in Romans chapter eight, let me show you something. I can't. I'll be doing this in a couple weeks again on a Sunday morning when I when I get to it. I think it's two weeks. Romans chapter eight. Look at verses eleven through thirteen. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through which His Spirit dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put, on, you, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. There it is again. There it is again. Scripture is replete. It is, it is replete with confirmation of itself. And since, so since both of these are supported by Paul in his writings, I assume then that walking in the Spirit involves both concepts. That is, not gratifying the flesh and, um, and living in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. And so the entire life of the believer is to be lived by the Spirit under His guidance and His direction, by His aid and help and power. And if a man so lives, he will not yield to the sinful desires of the flesh. That's Charles Erdman. Many a uh, good Christian at home, I'm sure, has a, has a Erdman's, uh, ha has some book published by Erdman or by this man himself. Uh, let me say it again. The entire life of the believer is to be lived by the Spirit under His guidance and direction. And by His aid and help and power, if a man so lives, he will not yield to the sinful desires of the flesh. That's just the truth. It's how we're to live. And to use another phrase of Paul, to walk in the Spirit is the same, or at least the consequences of being led by the Spirit, as he says again over here in Romans 8, verse 14, where he says this, for as a man, for as many, excuse me, for as many are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And so what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? We've just defined that. How do we walk in the Spirit? How do we walk in the Spirit? Do we walk in the Spirit or are, or are led by the Spirit through this? Listening to some small still voice? Uh, perhaps heeding some subtle influence or intuition, uh, perhaps following some overwhelming compulsion? Uh, the answer is no. The answer is no. Um, I learned something the other day about, about eating and about myself. I've always loved to eat, but I've had uh, what, what I call uh, emotional hunger. Emotional hunger. Not emotional eating, emotional hunger. This may help some of you. Uh, it's, it's certainly helped me. When you, when you come to a place where you will do whatever it takes to get a particular something to eat, for example, you think about it all day. I, 
I, I particularly have a strong penchant for hot dogs. There is nothing uh, is quite as good to me as a gas station hot dog. Uh, we have one here in Gainesville and that, that makes wonderful hot dogs and uh, actually you make them yourself. And, uh, and then the, uh, there's a place we go on vacation, best hot dogs in the world, uh, without a doubt, in my opinion. Well, when all I want to do is eat a hot dog, that's, that's emotional hunger. Whereas when, I, when I'm just happy the other day I was hungry, um, I ate a piece of bread and drank a protein shake in my car. Um, not a lot of pizzazz in that. Uh, bread and premier protein, that was it. It, it, it. it wasn't the best thing I'd eaten, I can say that, but it, it did the trick, it satisfied the hunger, and I went on and I didn't have to go stop at the gas station and get a hot dog which would turn into two hot dogs, chili and nacho cheese and all that other good stuff. And I know some of you, after you turn this off, that's exactly what you're going to do. And if you see me there, um, well, you're buying because uh, you followed my idea. But the, the point I'm trying to make is this. There's a difference between an emotional hunger and a physical hunger. Well, our spiritual life is the same way. Um, and, and all of these things I've described where we say, well, I just heard this still small voice or there's this subtle influence or this is overwhelming compulsion. In all likelihood, it's not the Spirit of God. It's your emotions. It's your emotions. And, and I have tried to counsel people my entire career, and I can tell you that I'm just about 100% unsuccessful at it. You cannot trust your emotions. Uh, they will lead you astray. You can't trust your feelings. They're flighty. Um, they're uh, superfluous. Uh, it, it just is just not going to work. And I would imagine all of you can give a hearty oh me. He's telling it like it is. So you're probably having some kind of emotional thing going on when you you claim this still small voice or this influence or influ in, intuition or this overwhelming compulsion. The answer, though, is no. That is not how you walk in the Spirit or led by the Spirit. Otherwise, there would be a problem determining whether it is the Holy Spirit or just a wishful human spirit that is seeking to be led in some other direction. The Bible warns about the danger of trusting the impressions of the heart. See, I'm not off when I say that you should not trust your emotions. You can look at Proverbs 14, 12. It basically just says that. Jeremiah 10, 23, same thing. Uh, God has graciously given us an objective means to direct us. He has given us an objective means to direct us, not a subjective one, an objective one, something that you can deal with objectively. Where is it? Psalm 119, 133. And here's what it says. It says right here, direct my steps by your word. Direct my steps by your word and let no iniquity have dominion over me. So the objective standard is the word of God. The objective standard is the word of God. And what have we heard the last 40 years? Oh, you're just a word man. You're just a word man. Boy, I tell you what, there, there's... I mean, that's high praise to me. Uh, you're just a word man. Um, because that's the objective standard. It was the objective standard for David. It was the object objective standard for Jesus and everyone before, after, and in between. 
And so the reality of it is, is that to walk in the Spirit and to be led by the Spirit, we need to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. That's Romans 8, 4, and 5. That's what I preached this last Sunday on sanctification. And just as those who set their minds on the things of the flesh walk according to the flesh, what are the things of the Spirit? What are the things of the Spirit? Those things that the Holy Spirit was sent to reveal. Jesus tells us this in John chapter 14. In John 14, verses uh, 25 and 26, Jesus tells us these words. He says, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance the things I said to you. And you need to remember something. Jesus didn't say anything that He had not heard His Father say. Nothing. He didn't say anything that he, Jesus says that. I have not done anything I have not seen my Father do. I have not said anything I have not heard my Father say. And so, therefore, whenever one is setting their minds on the Word of God, they're setting their minds on, this, on the things of the Spirit. So I want you to write that down. When you set your mind upon the Word of God, you're setting your mind upon the Spirit. The Spirit of God and seeking to walk thereby. They're walking in the Spirit. They're being led by the Spirit. But also when we're strengthened by the Spirit. In Romans, again, Romans 8. I need to just keep my Bible open to it. I keep referring back to it. Romans 8, 12 through 14. Listen to what he says. He says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, but to live according to to live according to the flesh. But if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if this by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your body of your body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Again, simply put, again, it just shows where you stand. You've got to remember there's only two classes of people in, the king, in, in God's economy. There are the lost and the saved. That's it. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither uh, uh, Greek nor uh, Jew. There's neither uh, slave nor free. As it says, you're either lost or you're saved. And you know, the great thing is, your actions will tell you which kingdom you live in. I mean, it just it will tell you. And so the conjunction with our own effort, in conjunction with our own efforts to walk according to the things of the Spirit, the Word of God, we are aided by the Spirit of God. Paul examined, uh, explained this rather in the, in the Philippian letter when he said, then he said, we are to seek to work out our salvation because God is also at work in us. This Philippians 2, 12 through 13. And it's the instrumental agent which God strengthens us. That is His Spirit. That's Ephesians 3.16. So the prayer is the key element receiving this wonderful strength. Just as Paul prayed to the Ephesians that God would strengthen them, again in Ephesians 3.16. And so we are taught to go to God's throne of grace when we need grace to help us in the time of need. That's Hebrews 4.16. And so to walk in the Spirit then involves living a life where one is under the Spirit's direction and aided by His power. How do you know if you're doing it? If you're in the Word of God. That's it. We can ensure that we walk in the Spirit by diligently setting our minds on the things of the Spirit. What is that? 
the Word of God, fervently praying for the strength of God to give through the strength God gives through His Spirit as we endeavor to live according to His Word. If you're living according to the Word of God, you're walking in the Spirit, you're living in the Spirit, and the Word of God in prayer therefore is crucial to overcoming this conflict of the flesh and the Spirit. Between the flesh and the Spirit, the victory can be won. You can overcome the conflict by walking in and being in the Spirit of God. And how is that? In the Word of God. So in conclusion, do you honestly, brother or sister, ladies and gentlemen, do you honestly desire to overcome this conflict? Do you desire to overcome this conflict that goes on between the flesh and the Spirit, where the lust and the flesh pull you in one direction and the Spirit of God pulls you in the other. Are you, are you ready to overcome that? In our text, we find not only the motivation, which you can refer to the previous lesson on August the 5th related to this topic, but also the solution to overcoming the conflict, which is this lesson. In our next study, we're going to begin taking a closer look at those things listed as the works of the flesh, remembering the importance of the awareness of the enemy. Specifically, we're going to look at the sin of uh, moral impurity. The sin of moral impurity, that's next. For the time being, though, I encourage you to accept the challenge to walk in the Spirit. Simply put, it begins when you crucify the flesh with its passions and desires and begin to live in the Spirit. It's Galatians 5, 24 and 25. And it continues as you are led by the Spirit through the means of the Word of God, which is Romans 8, 14. So you need to walk in the Spirit. You need to be led by the Spirit. I want to close with this warning. Being led by the Spirit is not saying, okay, the Spirit is leading me to do something that is not rooted in the Word of God, that's not rooted from a prayerful time in the Word of God. You may believe the Spirit is leading you to do something, but it's not the Holy Spirit. It is rooted in the Word of God. It's rooted in your relationship with God. It is, an, it is rooted in an objective standard and it's rooted in something that others could look at and bear witness to say, indeed, that is how God operates. It is not a pass for you to do what is emotional, what you are emotionally hungry for. Have you responded to the command to be baptized into Christ where you can enjoy the, the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit? If you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, all of this is foreign to you. All of this is unbelievable. All of this is not possible. But if you need to trust Christ, my friend, I'm going to tell you, Christ calls you. He desire, the Scripture says He desires none should perish. He will take you the way that you are. And if you hear Him calling you, come to Him. As He says, I will in no wise cast you out. You're welcome to call us here at The Journey. If you need counseling, our number is 940-301-5012. I'm so glad you were with us tonight. I look forward to being with you again. I hope you have a great rest of your week. A great rest of your week. And God bless you. Good night.